Good morning and thank you for choosing to worship here at West on this Sunday morning, the Sunday after Easter. We are so grateful that you chose to come here and be with us either in person or online this morning. We send a very special and and warm shout out to you because it is not warm here. So probably wherever you are, you are infinitely warmer than everyone sitting here. Uh, We do offer our apologies because of the heat and we know that it is ever changing. One of our core values at West is infinitely changing. And so we believe that that also applies to the temperature in the worship space. Um, But I do want to say, I mean, a huge shout out to the school system. I mean, they can't control it either. Sometimes air conditioning and heating systems work and sometimes they don't. They've been hard at work at fixing this since like 745 this morning. So uh, they try really hard. And uh, the good news is like if we owned a building, because sometimes when things happen, people will say, well, if we, we owned a building, if we owned a building, we'd have to pay for it. The good news is this morning, they fix it and we don't have to pay for it. So uh, anyway, I am really so glad that you are here with us this morning. It's a little bit of a different day. So the message will not be an hour like it normally is. It'll be more like 30 minutes. And that's a joke. I don't normally preach for an hour, but I do preach too long and I know that. Uh, But the message will be around 20 to 30 minutes. And then after the message this morning, we are going to have here in person what is called a, a no huddles experience where we break out of the holy huddle of all the people that just sit and want to be takers of of faith. Uh, We're going to take in and hopefully connect with God and the divine, and then we're going to leave and go do something out in the commons area that'll make a difference in the lives of other people and hopefully help them experience the risen and the resurrected Christ. If you're worshiping with us online, we will explain later what you can do in your own environment to, to make a difference in how you can be connected to the no huddles experience. This morning, we are continuing in a message series called Fight Club. That was the the parody, the Rocky parody video that you saw a little while ago. I clearly am not Sylvester Stallone, but I will say that running up and down those stadium steps like five or six times to make the film, the video footage was quite a challenge. But uh, the bottom line is we all face things in our lives that we have to fight against. And so today and for the next several weeks, we are going to be looking at those. Last week, we talked talked about the ultimate victory and how in order to experience that, sometimes we have to let go of of the things that bring us the most pain and that when we let go of those things, that is when we experience the wholeness and the peace and the transformation that comes uh, from the resurrected Christ. Today, we're going to talk about doubt and how we have doubts. And we're going to look at this guy in scripture named Thomas, and he was one of the disciples. And and after Jesus resurrected, he he had his own doubts. So we're going to look at that just a little. Next week, we're going to talk about bullying. We're going to have a guest with us, and and we're going to do some question and answer. If you have any questions or concerns or thoughts about bullying, I invite you to either text me, email me, or uh, go to the website, and you can find out how to contact me there. Uh, We'd love to hear your thoughts or use social media. And then after that, we're going to talk about ageism and how we fight against that. What would Jesus have done and does do in our world today with ageism and also sexism? So those are the things that we're talking about in this message series that we want to fight against. But this morning, we're going to talk for a little while about doubts. So what are things that we have in our lives that we have doubts about? Uh, Martin Luther said that only God and certain madmen have no doubt whatsoever 
Only God and certain madmen have no doubts whatsoever. It is a normal human experience. It exists all across the world, all across the universe for us to have doubts. But sometimes we get wigged out when we start having doubts because we think that there's something wrong with us. So this morning as we talk about how to fight off our doubts, what if instead of fighting them off, we embrace them? And that's the way that we actually fight against what happens when we doubt is that if the first step in doing so is embracing the fact that it's okay to have them. You know, if, if we're looking to make a lifelong commitment to someone in a relationship, in a, in a marriage, you know, most of the time at some point in the journey, there's some doubt about that commitment. Perhaps we find ourselves in a, in a not healthy relationship and, and we've made that covenant, that lifelong covenant to be in a relationship and, and it just is not working out anymore. And to stay in the relationship does more harm than good. We face doubts about how to let go of that. Perhaps we have some history with some people like friends or, or family or loved, uh, loved ones and we've invested in them and we've believed in them only to be hurt over and over again. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they seem like they've turned over this new leaf and, and they promise and they profess that they're gonna be different now and, and your relationship, our relationship with them will be different. We have doubts about moving forward with that relationship. When we're faced with decisions about career paths, we have doubts with that too. And if we're honest, I mean really honest, we have doubts about our faith. So for the last several months, I've been spending time right after worship with a group of 10 to 15 young people, and they are what we call confirmands. They are exploring their faith and, and what it means to follow Jesus. And so one of the first things that I did when we gathered all together was I gave them a piece of paper, and I said, you know, tell me just in your own words, you know, who do you think God is? Who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think the Holy Spirit is? And so they are, you know, frantically writing, and, and then I said, okay, now tell me what it is that you don't believe. And they all just looked at me like deer in headlights. And, and I said, no, I really want you to write it down. And they're like, what we don't believe? And I'm like, yeah, about God, about Jesus, about the Bible. Surely there's something that you don't believe. And I mean, you really could, sort of like right now, uh, you could have heard a pin drop in the room. They're just looking at me. And I'm like, it's okay. I know, I know you don't believe every single word in there, so own it. Own it with me. Own it with me in this safe place so that when, then we can explore it together. I didn't ask them to read their answers. I, I took up their papers, and over the last eight to 12 weeks, I've been reading their answers and, and praying for them and, and praying for discernment on how to deal with the things because guess what? They had significant and very understandable doubts. 
But we wig out, right? Like, we're, we're not supposed to question. We're not supposed to have doubts. And, and over the last seven to eight years, it's been really interesting to preach in, in such a manner and be a congregation, a, a group of people that are worshiping together that allow people the safety and, and, the, and a, a, a safe place where questions can be asked and, and doubts can be explored. When I preach difficult topics like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going in this fiery furnace and the fact that they stood in there while there were flames all around, and I dealt with that both in a literal manner and a metaphorical manner, it's, it's always interesting because if there are people that are not used to the climate and the culture of West, they either really embrace it and say like, wow, thank you for letting us have a place to ask those questions, or I get to read really cool things about me on social media and about how our church is heretical and we don't worship Jesus Christ. So I always love those Sunday afternoon social media uh, posts and that did happen on the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But look, here's the deal. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross, which we celebrated last weekend that, you know, the cross was not the victor, that, that life was the victor, and that there is a resurrected God through Jesus Christ that we can all experience, and it changes our life. When he hung there, he had doubt. One of my mantras is, if Jesus did it, then I think we can too. So he hung there, and he said, my God, he quoted the Psalms, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here's Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and he had doubts. So if Jesus can have doubts, why can't we? So this morning, that's what I want us to wrestle with. I want us to wrestle with the fact that maybe it's okay to have some doubts. Jesus did. Thomas, we're going to look at him in just a second. He did. But I think one of the barriers to our being okay with having doubts is, is there are two things that get in the way. First, I think sometimes we, we fear that if we start tiptoeing in that area of the unknown, when we have doubts about, about faith and God and, and our religion, that we're scared that, that if we take one piece of, of the layer away, that it's going to all just come falling apart. It's almost like, you know, the tip of an iceberg that, you know, once you, you hit the tip, then you're going to hit it all and, and it's not going to exist anymore. But that's not true. When we look at our doubts and we realize that it is okay to have them, and exist with them in, in a safe place and, and be okay, then, then things start to happen. So uh, I think the fear of it all coming, un- unraveling, and, and the impact that that would have in our lives is one of the things that gets in the way of us having doubts. And I think the other thing is that we're afraid we're gonna disappoint God. And again, I would just remind us that, you know, throughout scripture, not only did Jesus have doubts, but, but lots of the leaders throughout both the Hebrew scriptures and the followers of Jesus, they had their doubts. There is a German poet, his name is Rainer Rainer, and he summed up doubts in, in this way, and, and it's a beautiful way to look at it. What if we are patient with the unsolved questions we have in our hearts? What if we become patient with the unsolved questions that we have in our hearts and maybe even go one step further and fall in love with the questions themselves? 
Maybe if we'll be patient with ourselves and, and recognize that it's okay to have unsolved things and, and then start to fall in love with that exploration and those questions, eventually we will live into the answers. That's what happened with Thomas. This morning I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of John. He is the only the only writer of the Gospels who records this story. It's, it's such a powerful story because I think we are Thomas in this story if we allow ourselves to be. Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came and appeared to them. So the other disciples told him, hey, look, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, And unless I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. So now that happens. And then a week later, the disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? And blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. You know, it's really interesting when you read that story and and you see, you know, first of all, like Jesus just appears through some shut doors. That's a little weird. And so uh, we acknowledge that, you know, I have no clue how that happened. You can't logically explain that away other than the resurrected Jesus did appear to over 500 people in the days following the crucifixion and the resurrection. So we do believe in some mystical and divine way that Jesus, Jesus appeared right there. And there's Thomas. Now, you know, how did Jesus know that Thomas had those doubts? No clue about that either. So see, it's okay to have doubts. I mean, I don't even, I can't even explain all those parts and semantics and pieces to that story. And if anyone ever tells you that they can explain absolutely every bit of that, then I'd go back to that quote about Martin Luther, you know, that he said, only God and certain madmen have no doubts. There are things in there that we are just not ever going to understand, but there are some things that are in there that if we hold on to them and And if we allow them to work in our lives and change us, then we will be forever changed. And this is one of those stories. I imagine if if we were Thomas, so let's put ourselves in Thomas's shoes for just, just a little while. You know, wouldn't we be disappointed that like we missed out on the first time? I would be. I'd be like, you know, look, hey, I gave up my life to follow you. You appeared to them. What about me? So they're so excited, you know, because they get it. They get that the tomb was empty. They get that Jesus is no longer dead, that death is not the victor, that the government, the Roman government, the religious leaders, they thought they won, but they didn't. So the other disciples, they have to have like this this amazing peace and contentment. And Thomas, I mean, he was right there with them the whole time, but he missed out on the resurrected Jesus So he has to live in that doubt and that uncertainty for a week. 
sometimes we want our answers to be immediate. We live in such a culture of, you know, right now. Everything is fast and instant. We are not patient people. But remember, if if we'll be patient and allow our uncertainties in our hearts and in our souls to, to just be, that that's when we can live into new answers and new experiences. So Thomas had to sit and live and exist in his doubt. He had to go to bed every single night and think, hmm, they got Jesus. I didn't. I feel sort of alone. And I'm sad. We don't like to be sad, right? We don't like to hurt. We want everything to just fit in a nice, neat box. But that isn't life. It isn't life for us today, and it wasn't life for the disciples and the followers of Jesus a couple of thousand years ago. So night after night, I imagine Thomas was just engulfed with his sadness, and then all of a sudden, they're all together again, and there's Jesus. Now, notice, Thomas was not like, all right, yes, here you are, bam, all is well. Even when Jesus appeared, he still had his doubts. But but look at what he had the courage to do. He had the courage to name them to Jesus, to his face. Say, hmm, don't really buy it. And Jesus offers himself like he does always. And not just to Thomas. But to you and to me, the resurrected Jesus always offers himself in our doubt. We just have to be willing to hear. And we also have to be willing to see. So Jesus tells him, you know, okay, so take your your hands. Touch my wounds. Touch my side. And... It's so interesting when we read what John writes, we have no clue if Thomas did. We have absolutely no idea. It does not say, so Thomas immediately took his hand and placed it on Jesus. No clue, it's not important. Or it wasn't to John. What is important? And what is important to us still today in the middle of our doubt and our uncertainty and our pain is that there is a Jesus, a God that revealed God's self to us through Jesus that appears to us in our deepest times of distress and doubt. And if we will allow ourselves to sit in that doubt and then move through it, embrace it and move through it, then we can experience a God and a Savior. We can experience that life change. Thomas goes, my Lord and my God. And Jesus, you know, being Jesus, peace. I give to you, wouldn't it be nice to live with some peace? 
Wouldn't it be nice to go to bed at night and not worry about the things that seem bigger than we are? Wouldn't it be nice to not have to have and struggle with our doubt? It would. But that is, again, not the absolute reality. So what if we're willing to go to bed at night and then say, all right, Jesus, here. Here's my doubts. Here are the questions that I have. Here are my struggles. Here are the things I don't believe. You say you are a good God. God says he's a good God. Then why is my marriage falling apart? Why have my kids made choices that are just not good? Why can I not find a job? Why do my friends continually stab me in the back? Why do I feel so doggone alone? If you're a good God, why? Allow ourselves to ask those questions and then hand them on over and say, here. Even if you need to be a little sarcastic and snarky, I think God would be okay with that. Jesus would be okay with that. Remember Thomas face to face with Jesus is like, not buying it. But give it to God. And then we can rest. And then we can have peace. You know, they say there's lots of different ways to work through our doubt. We can look at the evidence that is there and we can explore the evidence and look at that which is true. We can hear the other testimonies of people that are around us. Thomas did that. You know, he listened to the testimonies of the other disciples that had encountered the risen God and and then he had his own experience. We can rely on our own experiences And we can weigh all the options that exist before us. But at the end of the day, the decision is ours. And we have to take that that step of faith. We have to be willing to, to trust God, trust Jesus. For it is then that we live into those answers of the unsettled questions And it is then that we can live with our doubt and also have faith. Wouldn't it be nice if our own relationships with Jesus Christ are personal and tangible and real and something that you and I each experience individually Instead of Jesus being some dogmatic doctrinal principle that we have been taught to believe through a creed or, or just asked to believe by somebody else who, who wrote about it so long ago. What if we allow the resurrected Jesus to work in our own lives? How could it be different? How could we be different? How can our lives change just like Thomas and the other followers of Jesus? I imagine that's what Jesus wanted. 
them to experience him in, in this resurrected way and know that they could have peace and not just that one day, not just right then when he was standing right there, but that this peace permeates them to their very core. And that peace and that love is that which carries them every day of their lives. That peace that was for them is for us. So let's be okay with sitting in our doubt. You know, every parent, I believe, and every person that loves uh, other people or, or young adults that are growing up, they want for them a, a peaceful and a happy and a joyous life. And I believe if we're people of faith, that we want those that we love or that we have influence over their lives, we want them to have that same thing. We want them to have faith. Scott and I, I believe, have prided ourselves on trying to raise two children that are now, one's an adult and one's almost a full adult, and we wanted to give them room to explore because I know what happens with preacher's kids. Most of the time they grow up absolutely hating the church and, and hating God. So when they had soccer games on Sunday morning, uh, I was a little busy, but Scott would be there. We never made them choose between a normal life like their peers would have and my job and my calling and my career. That wasn't always popular with, with other people, but I really didn't want them to grow up and hate God. So Andrew uh, had this opportunity to go to governor's school. And he would be okay with me telling you this story. Uh, he had the chance to go to governor's school. And so, I mean, I had no idea what that would do to him internally and, and morally and philosophically. We had had some other people at West that had gone to governor's school before. And when they got back, they wanted to meet with me and explore issues of faith. And so, I mean, I guess I realized going into it that he could walk away with questions. But I also knew that we had given him room to do that for a really long long time. It was the Saturday night that I actually was prepping for the sermon on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and having my own wrestling with the scriptures and trying to understand uh, the, the literal impact and the metaphorical impact. And so at about 11 o'clock, Andrew comes downstairs and asks what I'm doing, and, and you know he just wanted to chat. At 11 o'clock on Saturday night, when I'm, I'm studying for the last and final time, that's not really a chatty time for me, but he'd been gone all summer, and I knew that it was getting ready to be his last year at home. And so I made time sitting there. He asked what I was doing and I told him, and I told him what I just told you, that I struggle with that passage and I, I can't quite, you know, wrap my head around it. I had a pen in my hand, so, you know, I was sitting there doing this. And he goes, well, what would you do if I told you that I just don't buy any of it anymore? I broke my tooth, ended up having to have a little dental work done after that. Um, it, you know, it was that moment as a parent that I knew, okay, don't screw this up. I said, well, you know, okay, say more. 
So he told me about some experiences that he had had at governor school where he'd been exposed to, you know, people of, of different faith paths and, and some who didn't believe anything at all. And that he was in this, it was called a, a circle of trust and everybody was supposed to keep their eyes closed and you were supposed to say what you believed your, your founding principles were. And everybody went around the circle and a lot of them were religious and philosophical opinions. And, and so one young man, Andrew said, allowed himself to be very vulnerable in the moment. And his voice broke as he said, you know, I've believed this all along and then I'm, I'm here right now and I don't know that I believe anymore. And Andrew said it was in that moment that uh, someone else spoke up and said, it broke the circle of trust and said, if you don't believe that, you're going to go to hell. And I'm going to pray for you right now and every day after this because you are in danger of eternal damnation. Andrew said the circle pretty much fell apart after that. Like everybody opened their eyes. They're all staring at each other. And Andrew said, you know, the more I I spent time with different people, I just, I think, mama, I see things differently now. I said, okay. My tooth hurt a little. I was trying to figure out how I could excuse myself to like go cry in the bathroom for a little because, you know, that's something that every pastor wants, right? That uh, they felt as a parent and they weren't able to help their kids find God. I asked him to explain a little more of his questions and his doubt. I had at least enough common sense not to argue with him. Even though there were things that he said that I really did fundamentally believe were untrue. At the end of our conversation, I said, I just have one question for you. What's your beef with Jesus? He said, what do you mean? I said, okay, you've given me lots of reasons not to believe, and that's okay. You can have those, and you can wrestle with those. But tell me, what's your beef with Jesus? He said, well, I don't have one. I said, then why do you have to throw it all away? That was the end of the conversation. It's now like five, six years later. I don't push, Scott doesn't push. We let him be. A few weeks ago, he wrote me and he said, hey, I need you to pray for me. I was like, whoa. It's been a long time since I heard those words come out of his mouth. It's okay to have doubts. Because when we allow ourselves to have doubts, And when we can be patient with the unsettled places and questions in our soul, we allow the resurrected God to work. And it doesn't have to be in our timeline. The resurrected Jesus is so much bigger. Let us be okay with living with our doubts. Let us pray. Gracious God, you are a God that gives us example after example of what it means to live in the reality of being human and recognizing that we have certainties and uncertainties and questions and doubts. Thank you for being a God that reveals yourself to us through a resurrected Lord. 
one that's big enough to let us touch and feel the things that we believe to be untrue. And thank you for being there and and working in us so that maybe we can walk through our doubt and walk into faith and life and truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.